Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Industrious Podcast. Thank you all for joining us today, wherever you get your podcasts or on the Accessa YouTube channel. Uh, again, if you're on YouTube and you haven't subscribed, please do so. We would appreciate that and hit that little notification bell so you can be alerted when new episodes like this one drop. Uh, as you can see with today's setup, we are missing uh, my partner in crime, Joe, could not make it for this episode. So we will forge ahead and uh, look for him on the next one. I uh, want to say a special welcome to our guest today. Today we are joined by our Assessor's Sales and Business Development Manager for the East, Mr. Kevin Fine. Welcome Thank to the Industrious Podcast. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. Uh, as we do with everyone, why don't you provide a little uh, introduction of yourself? Okay. Again, my name is Kevin Fine, Business and Sales Development Manager for the East. Um, I am a native New Jerseyan. Uh, Born out you can let the in, accent come out during this episode. Well, what happened was, is because my family's really from, you know, New Jersey's two states. Okay. There's a North and there's a South. Okay. So the North Jersey people kind of focus on New York, Southern Jersey, more Philadelphia. Okay. So when you combine that, I think you get like a Midwesterner access, accent. So it all works out in the end. Um, so again, grew up in South Jersey, a little bit outside of Philadelphia. But again, my family was from North Jersey. So we were Giants fans in Eagles country. So we're... I always learned. How'd that go over? You, you learn to lay low. You don't get too, you know, too vocal. Maybe you wear, instead of blue, you wear gray shirts or something like that to okay. a game. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it made it exciting. And I think it taught me to blend in at a very early age to be able to get to, you know, different areas and still enjoy what you want to do. Right. So, like I said, South Jersey. Uh, went to Rutgers University, the state university. Uh, Keep it in the Big Ten. Of course, it wasn't Big Ten then, but it is now. Well, I'm jumping ahead, okay. but in 07, I moved to Indiana. Right. And so, of course, you know, we were, we were playing decent football in the Big East at that point in time. I've been doing pretty well, and I'd get to a road game in Pittsburgh or something like that. But I always messed with everybody. I mean, this is going back to when I first moved there, and I said, Rutgers will be in the Big Ten. I'm like, ah, shut up. <laughs> You're an idiot. I was like, no, 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 no. Go with it. Just just hear me out. It's a major, large research university, like over 50,000 students. Yeah. Like, really? Like, yeah, it's, it's actually a big school with teams and everything. Um, so I always held by that belief. What made you think that, though? What, what made you think that they would join the Big Ten at some point? Because it's the perfect profile. You've got, it's a major research institution, um, everything you want to possibly major in. Um, and we've always referred to the sports side as we're the sleeping giants. All we got to do is figure, you know, actually invest in the programs and not treat it like it's an Ivy League or a Patriot League. Yeah. And, and we could get there. And so, you know, it's kind of like always rooting for the underdog. But you know you have all these resources behind you that, like, one day it could grow up into being this thing. So that's why I always said, ah, yeah, we could play in the Big Ten. Yeah, why not? So it was always a good joke. Um, so again, moved out here in 07. We had two little ones at the time. Uh, our third child was born out here, Amelia, um, in Indiana. And then in about 2012, um, we moved to Arizona and then ended up coming back to Indiana, Indianapolis, right when uh, Rutgers moved into the Big Ten. I'm kind of jumping ahead, it's though, on, on the sports side. Yeah, it worked out really well. <laughs> um, but, you know, career upbringing... Um, after Rutgers, I got this really crazy idea that I wanted to have my own restaurant. Always loved food, liked cooking. 
um, and saw myself in some sort of business environment, possibly, you know, a little entrepreneurial, wanting to have my own thing. Uh, so I, out of college, I took a pretty much minimum wage job cooking in a restaurant. And they're like, oh, college boy, we'll throw you right on the line <laughs> and see, we'll see what happens, make fun of you. Um, so I worked in a couple restaurants in Philadelphia um, and, and learned the industry. Um, we kind of did some fine dining, and then I worked in one restaurant that was um, kind of like short order, but from scratch, kind of country okay. down home cooking, and uh, worked really, really hard mm-hmm. and learned a lot about the business, learned how to cook, learned a lot about you know interpersonal skills and in the in literally figuratively the fires of the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and after a couple years, I was like, you know, maybe. <laughs> I learned a lot here, but may- maybe this isn't my calling. I hadn't seen a football game in about two years okay. and hadn't seen a weekend in about that long. Right. So I was, I was well, let's, let's try something else. And I found an opportunity in industrial sales in Philadelphia, South Jersey area. Did that come from any exposure to it in the restaurant business? That was just pure connections. Okay. Just, just knew some people and I was asking around and looking for some opportunities and he's like, you're looking for something come on talk to me on tuesday okay. your day off and uh and we'll see if uh, if it makes sense for you and it was in industrial uh cleaning mm-hmm. or professional cleaning yep so company uh repaired sold uh different cleaning materials and equipment into uh, center city philadelphia and you know surrounding area and um i did that for a few years um you know, really interesting in getting into industrial environments, looking at different applications. I mean, kind of like in our coatings world, how many different materials you could use for different applications. Same things goes in, in cleaning or in prepping surfaces, things like that. Um, so I did that for a bunch of years um, and then grew into, we had an aftermarket division in the service side where we sold parts and things like that to repair so I kind of worked with a, a network organization to um, sell those products around the country. And there I got my feet wet in, I handled procurement. It was a small organization, um, mm-hmm. but had been just acquired by a larger corporation. Um, and so I got my feet wet in purchasing, hey, a little dabbled a little bit of marketing. Hey, you're gonna be also the sales guy in this operation. So it, it, from a company standpoint, they used to joke that the company was kind of my tinker toy. There was a lot of things I could do there. Yeah. Were they um, a distributor or were they the actual manufacturer? Or kind, kind of, of a, a quasi situation, okay. yeah, where we bought products, redistributed them out, and we did some light manufacturing of some of the items as well. Okay. Um, so, you know, just kind of saw a lot of different things uh, in industrial applications that, uh, you know, kind of helped me out today. Who was your typical customer? Typical customer was, um, yeah, they're kind of atypical. There were some guys, you know, one guy, standalone van that would go out and could repair things, or it could be a large um, janitorial supply house, yeah. um, all the way up to, you know, major, you know, corporations that you'd hear uh, working in the, you know, hospitality sectors. Right. So it could be anything. Did you find that? Um one of the aspects of selling for them similar to what you probably see today which we'll get into but 
is the fact that you're not selling to the exact same industry, same market, same type of person every single day. Oh yeah, you could be, I mean, something could be getting, I mean, it could be schools, it could be hospitals, you know, to universities, to sports complexes. Um, right. And then later in that life, I got some opportunities, which brought me into Arizona to work in what we called professional cleaning. Okay. So as opposed to institutions, we were now dealing with cleaners that were going into homes. Right. Could also do commercial work as well, right? There's office buildings and things like yep. that, but these were people on the front lines, you know, doing uh, cleaning and disaster restoration um, in residences. Does that include um, the cleaning out of scorpions? It could, it could. <laughs> you hear a lot of stories yeah, in you, cleaning. you said a, you shared a story the other day about yeah, that. I can't remember how it came up, but yeah, <laughs> scorpions, black. Hey, you know this is a big country with a lot of different terrain, and um, yeah, you you find a lot of different stuff. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, the the cleaning world. Is, there's a lot of interesting comparisons to to, to what we do. Um, you know, in the size profiles and, and different complexities of the business. So. Yeah. Yeah, for uh, those intrigued by the scorpion comment, um, there was a story there that you can go into if you want, or, yeah. or maybe not. But for the sake of his marriage, um, scorpions weren't very well received no, when, when they no. moved to Arizona. No, well, we moved out to Arizona, and that was when we were. In, I was from a work standpoint was working more in disaster restoration, yep. you know, flood work and and, and damage uh, to structures, um, and so in that office i got a call probably my second week in arizona from my wife rose saying there's a scorpion on the shower curtain um and we are not going back into the house <laughs> until this is this problem is handled it's like okay all right well i had a cousin in the area and i said i, I need a guy send me a number dan dan the exterminator man <laughs> Call him. Guy's great. He comes out, you know, says, oh, yeah, I'll take care of all these problems. You know, knock out the scorpions. Oh, took care of that. I mean, just dropped whatever material they use. Everything was eradicated around the perimeter of the house. So I'm walking around, sweeping up all the little bits and pieces of, you know, spiders and scorpions, things like that. And I come across, oh, look at that, a black widow. Just kind of sitting there. And you see the the two, you know, triangle red on the belly of the thing. Yeah. Well, isn't that neat? You don't see that every day. So I snapped <laughs> a picture of that. Let me put that right on Facebook. Oh. <laughs> Got another phone call. What is that? Oh, th that was a black widow. They're, they're gone now. So you can, you can all come, come back. So yeah, little, uh, the, the desert gets a little real when yeah. you, uh, when you see some of those how much things. How much longer after that experience did you guys move back to Indy? It was, it was about two and a half years later. Okay. Yeah. So after that point, the heat and <laughs> the reality of the desert brought us back home again to Indiana. Right. So, well, we're glad you guys came back. Um, when you came back to Indy, were you still with the same company? Cause I mean, same company, same, thing. Yep. Okay. same company. Um, all of my customers, because the way it kind of evolved was most of my customers were still in the Midwest. So, you know, I could fly out of sky Harbor in Arizona um, but it became a lot easier. If, like if I just looked at where all my customers were, Indianapolis, I was still coming out to Chicago, St. Right. Louis, Ohio, Kentucky. So it got to the point where, I mean, do you care if I move back? Right. Like, no, I was like, actually probably save everybody money. 
um, they're like, yeah, go for it. So, so that's how we got back, uh, got back again. And it worked out best, you know, like I said, I have my deep New Jersey roots, um, but the kids grew up here. Mm-hmm. And those are the things like they don't tell you, like your circle from preschool, that kind of becomes your, your network. I mean, right. that's who the kids grew up with. So, yeah. you know, we transitioned, you know, right back into, you know, Indianapolis living. And, you know, for everybody, it's, it's home. Right. Well, then to, I guess, jump a little bit, um, you're now coming up on three years um, having been, uh, been with the Assessa family, if you will, yep. or Team Assessa, yep. as we like to call it. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, Kevin is sales and business development manager for the east eastern portion um, of the of the country of our our geography and our markets that we cover. Um, I guess if you could provide a you know three years in the in the rearview mirror, what how would you describe the past almost three years? Um, probably the most fascinating, topsy turvy. You know, up and down. I mean, a, a lot of ups. I mean, things have been great for these past three years. But we all know, you know, I don't, I don't. How many times has the word pandemic been said on a podcast? Right. It's like I don't even want to say it anymore. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we have lived and worked together through like some of the most extraordinary times, right? I mean, there's going to be history books written sure. on this time. So you know, it was like six months in okay guys get ready you know here's all these regulations and everything that we have to go through we still have to maintain you know let's keep the we want to get this thing going right so you know that it's it's been a an interesting challenge um but uh you know working with this group at at assessa has been it's been great it's been invigorating from a career standpoint um this will sound corny and cliche but what I used to say, you know, in presentations and stuff, I was working with professional cleaners, mm-hmm. or in the U.S. we use the term janitors sometimes, right? Not exactly the most exciting job, mm-hmm. but it's an important job. Sure. And I used to always say to everybody, when they're doing that job, you know, you are in one of the most noble professions I know. There is nothing better than providing, whether it's a school or a business or a family with a safe, clean environment. I mean, what's better than that? So, you know what? Yeah, we're not, you know, driving race cars around a track, but we are providing an important service, an important, valuable service. And I think, you know, in kind of looking at things that way, you know, we can look at our business and say, you know, we do industrial coatings. Okay, well, that's neat. But when you look at, you know, some of the projects that we do, you know, whether it's, you know, on the, the wood side with cabinetry, furniture, you know, you're providing people with that first impression of that kitchen that they're going to have for how many years or that dining room table and set of chairs that a family's going to sit around through their best times, through their worst of times, you're involved in that process. Yep. And that's about, you know, that's as good as it gets, right? I mean, we're working on and that's what i really love about this team that that we work with is we get excited about that stuff you know you think of you know patrick in ohio looking at the live edge tables that he might be working on some of the commercial jobs that jeff and cal are working on you know brian may have you know some coding getting done in an mba arena 
Right. It's neat stuff. I mean, we see really cool pictures in really cool places. And I think at the end of the day, you can, you know, take some pride in that. You absolutely can. So, yeah. Well, like the diversification um, that you saw in the cleaning side then extended into this position with the fact that you're not just managing reps on the coating side, but managing reps on the chemical side and now the equipment side as well, which kind of overlaps with the same reps. Well, it kind of but, ties in a little bit sometimes. Um, would you, is it fair to say, I'm, maybe I'm speaking for myself here, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would you say it's fair to say that um, the different uh, manufacturers that we go into, um, you know, really runs the gamut I don't know. The, I don't know if it's if you have, feel the same way, but for me, like the little, you know, engineering nerd inside says, it's really kind of cool to see how stuff's made. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked out of a place like, who the hell came up with that? Yeah. Process or that idea to create whatever widget it is that's being made. Um, I mean, do you, do you feel the same way? Absolutely. Well, I love those shows like How Are Things Made? Right. Or, you know, when guys are telling me about projects that they're working on. Yeah, I mean, we kind of get geeked out on it. I mean, like, that's really cool and it's exciting. And I think what's good about that is, you know, like we talk about our, we don't have sales reps, we have consultants. Right. And when our consultants are engaged in the process and they're excited about it, that translates over to the customer. Yep. And now we're all on the same team trying to knock something out. And when something's good and it goes well, we high five. When something's bad, okay, let's get this corrected. Because we all want this to work out. We all want excellent results. We all want to be able to post something on LinkedIn or Facebook <laughs> or send a text to you know whoever and say, hey, check this out. Check right. what we did, just did. Is there any, <clears throat> excuse me, is there any instance that sticks out to you in terms of either one of two things, either one, uh, a moment like that or be um, uh, you you went into a certain place or a couple of places and it just I don't know you were wowed or you you just you just felt uh, intrigued by what that process is how we may or may not play a role in it that sort of thing um, yeah there's gosh there's been so many um, there was one, I mean, this, it was a smaller project, but I thought it was interesting. It was a business getting off. They were making shin guards, hmm. uh, soccer shin guards. In the U.S. In the U.S. <laughs> um, and they're out of bamboo. Okay. And they were having coating problems. And to the point where it was, you know, possibly some impact, you know, to the business that not being able to get products out the door. And very quickly, we were able to find, you know, polyurethane uh, solution um, that gave them the finish that they were looking for, the, what they were dreaming this product to look like, um, so that this they could start shipping them out to, you know, little soccer players, professional soccer players. and um, So being a soccer dad, that obviously Being a soccer dad, I was like, <laughs> right on. You know, I'm thinking about getting my own uh, custom <laughs> pair. Um, but you know that that was that's definitely a time. I, I think some of the I really like seeing some of the tables mm -hmm. that get made, um, whether they're commercial um, or going to a resort um, or some of these. You know, like we're seeing some of these large live edge tables that are getting yeah. used. The, the the craftsmanship behind some of these things. You know, I, I think that's that really where it gets fun, and sure. then you can see guys getting excited about the project and you know that that's going to you know make a big impression wherever that's going to be.
mm-hmm. whether it is at that resort or in somebody's table or, you know, walking into the, the foyer, um, you know, somebody's happy to get it. Yeah. Um, chemical side, mm-hmm. you had sort of some, some of that terminology translated yeah. over from the cleaning business. Um, what, what sticks out to you from in that area? I think the technical ability to be able to <coughs> provide a good working solution, I mean, it just becomes mission critical. Yeah. Right. I mean, some of these products, when we're looking at the metal side, you know, some, some of the specifications are, well, we just need to make sure the paint sticks. Okay. Got that. We can understand that. But then you get into some of the other specifications, uh, sprawl, the different testing that they go through. Um, your your accuracy needs to be, you know, at a much finer a finer point to it. Um, so I think that's where you kind of really need to listen, take in all the expectations, and know coming in, you know, this is what the requirements are from the customer and and those things don't budge um so i think there's a little more science to that uh than art form perhaps on the you know uh, the wood coating side right um i was gonna say you know what are, what are your likes and dislikes but that's maybe a little bit too generic but what i guess you know the last three years aside you know pandemic aside there's been um it, it's it's the market's been crazy. Yeah. Um, what what challenges would you say are top of mind? Um, and maybe maybe these are just challenges that you see, you know, regardless of whether it's a assessor or anybody else for that matter. But what would you say is the biggest challenge or two that 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 your uh, consultants are facing today or that you're facing today? I think the challenges have been the right now. I would say you know if you asked me that six months ago you know, uh, supply chain erratic, being erratic, right? where are materials going to be coming from? I mean, I'll say from my standpoint in, you know, when things really started coming down, um, you know, we had concerns from a supply chain standpoint. I think the team or the Assessa team did a remarkable job. And, and this comes from, you know, having procurement experience in all the waves and challenges coming up, our ability to keep materials on the shelf was unmatched. I'd put it up against anybody in any industry to be able to fill the needs of our customers. Um, I mean, it was pretty impressive to be able to do that. I mean, you know, there's still going to be issues coming down here. And I think that's one of the things that's challenging is where further down the supply chain trough, if you will, is the next little Right. Oh no, we're out of that little raw material that's now going to hold up something. I think those are the challenges. I think we've done a good job of trying to be, you know, as forthcoming that there's going to to our customers that there's going to be challenges on the supply chain side. We're always going to be trying to come with a solution um, if there is an issue. Um, so I think that's that's probably been one of the big things. You know, I think when you read the newspaper, everybody's looking at prices going up and things like that. You look at the fuel costs, um, you know, people notice it at the grocery store. Um, We're no different. All those things impact us. Um, So I think looking at solutions for people that, 
you know, where can they be more efficient? Where can they streamline? Or are there any other solutions to the current products that they're using that could boost their efficiency? You know, I think we need to be mindful of that and say, all right, well, how can we help here? Mm-hmm. So, because, I mean, there's pay points all around. So what can we do to ease that pain? Right. So then what's your prognostication for the rest of the year? <laughs> um, I, I really think things in our industries are going to be strong. I mean, going well past Christmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny. I mean, we're into June. Summer's going to be gone in a blink. Right. Am I allowed to snap on a podcast? Sure. Yeah. All right. Good. Um, <laughs> you know that it's going to be fall before we know it. And then yeah. as we know, um, but orders are still coming in. People are looking for finished goods still. Um, and I, I think just talking to the customers, they, they feel pretty comfortable uh, and confident in, in what their lead times are and how much work they have to do. Um, you know, I felt like last year we were saying the same thing. Well, talk to me first quarter of 2022, and I'll let you know what I think. Right. I think we're going to get well into the holidays, and, and I think people are going to have some work to do, and then we'll recalibrate come spring of 2023. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to talk that far in advance, but I think we all have to do that. Right. I think what we have seen is people are still booked out quite a ways. Um, the supply chain has... Well, excuse me, while it's been extremely painful, and I guess the, the hardest part is it the, the constant ebb and flow. Like, just as soon as you think we're okay here, all of a sudden something pops up over there, and, and vice versa. And we've had a, a few handful of products where one, only one raw material out of the 10 or 12 that maybe goes into that product is suddenly on back order. And you look at it, and it's maybe even just a 1% of the formula. Yeah. But you're like, uh, yeah, we can't leave that out. Like, that, we have to wait on that. And that just, you know, just backs everything else up. Um, I think that has also been a major factor in extending the uh, bookings, if you will, that customers have. Mm-hmm. So it's going to carry on, but at some point, you know, that will get through the system uh, when that is and what's, what it looks like beyond that, I guess, is anybody, remains to be seen as anybody, anybody's guess. Um, so I, I would agree with you. I think the rest of the year will be strong. I mean, aside from supply, the pricing constraints are absolutely nuts yeah. i mean unfortunately we've had to do our, our fair share of price increases we only pass along what we receive from our vendors and they've been they've been plenty um what would you say you want your market I mean, as, as a sales manager you're you're managing a a group of consultants um whether it be coatings consultants or chemicals consultants what do you want the market to think of not just the company, but to think of your consultants that you manage? I really want them to look at us as a set of eyes, a set of hands, and a set of ears that can help improve their processes. Um, You know, with these challenges, with pricing and all those things, that's, you know, we're all hearing those things, but I think it's important that we're another set of hands. We are, in essence, a free consultant to their business. And if you look at our, our, our group um, and their technical capability, their experience that they have in the field, um, they're as good as any. And they're engaged and they, they want to help find solutions. Um, and based upon, you know, with our sales team, management team, 
and our vendors, you know, kind of going up the whole supply supply side, um, we have the resources to solve problems. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's like one of those 80-20 rules. You know, you, you want to listen 80% of, you know, of the time, and it's, it's about hearing all those things and hearing all the stories and seeing, you know, where can we help? Where can we reduce some time here or reduce costs? Right. Because um, the opportunities are still out there. That's one of the challenges, I'll say, especially of this market right now. Everybody's so busy that if it's, if it's working, if it ain't broke, I ain't fixing it just yet. So getting people's attention sometimes is, is a greater challenge because, you know what, talk to me in 90 days. And, and then that 90 days comes up. Well, you know what? I just got more orders dropped on. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back. We can talk. Yeah. You know, when you're ready, when everybody takes a deep breath, um, there's plenty of projects coming out there and there's plenty of new looks or needs or demands that, uh, that people are looking for. And, and we're ready to talk about those things when, you know, when you can get a moment and sit down for the cup of coffee, let, let's do it. Right. I think it's very safe to say this is a very relationship based business, um, but then it has to, you know, extend beyond that, which we really view both our relationships with our customers, but also relationships with our vendors, being a distributor that we are. Um, it's a partnership. Mm-hmm. Anybody can buy something from this manufacturer and turn around and sell it to the end user. But to provide, you know, to try to provide that, you know, value added, and I know that's that that term is used almost too much out there, but um, to provide that value to to really help. Um, make that vendor want to do business with you and then ultimately to want that end, end user to buy from, from us. It's all about relationships and, and partnerships and, and, and as you mentioned, assisting them or yeah. being their resource and not just saying, hey, will you, will you buy this from me? Yeah. I think, um, you know, the relationships are key. Um, and the other thing, you know, kind of hitting on, you know, when I was thinking you're talking about, you know, our vendors and the good relationships we have with them, what I've always liked about Assessa is we don't apologize for, I mean, our products are the top of the line. And maybe that's not for everybody, yeah. but they're very good products. Um, and there's not a lot of times where, you know, maybe some things go wrong. But in the end, you're probably still using the, the right materials Maybe we just got to work on the application or, or some different things. But long time ago, I made a deal with myself that I would always sell top products that I am happy with, that at the end of the night, I can go to sleep knowing that I put somebody into a quality product. Right. Um, and and I think when I came on board with this, I, you know, those were some of my questions to try to understand how our products fit into the marketplace. And um, I think, you know, along with relationships like you said you know go grab a bite to eat or something like that but in the end you need a functioning product i mean we can be friends right but if your product doesn't do the job for me correct all right thanks for the cheeseburger <laughs> yeah so. we are definitely not a uh, a yugo dealership nothing against yugos but um it's just not it's not what we do there's a time and a place for all those things but yeah. you know and I, I think that's kind of how you know also we set our sights on you know customers that are striving to be the best or looking to use optimized systems or optimize their materials and, and we can be a good fit. Yeah. Well, um, we appreciate what you do for us for sure. Uh, if you guys ever want to know how, how to identify Kevin when he's on the road in the Eastern portion of the Midwest, just look for that big R that big Rutgers, uh, magnet on the back of his car. That pretty much is kind of the, 
yeah, the identification, at least that I that I see. I can get you one. There's the not a whole lot of those it. around yeah. it. No, there's not. It's it's pretty. <laughs> you see the block R, you probably know it's a good chance it's Kevin Fine driving somewhere in your vicinity. So All right. Well, hey, uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Industrious Podcast. We appreciate what you do for the company. Um, we appreciate what you do for our, our partnered customers um, as well as our vendors. So uh, I guess keep on keeping on. Will do. All right. And thank all of you guys for joining us today on this episode of the Industrious Podcast. Again, wherever you're getting your podcasts or if you're watching us on YouTube, on the Assessor YouTube channel, that is, um, thank you for, for joining us. We appreciate it. And we will see you next time. And don't forget, be industrious.